0: Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. We've got something a little different and a little extra special for you this week. Normally, we bring you one incredible operator for us to learn from. This week, we've got four. I recently had the privilege to host a panel at the Modern Sales Pros Revenue Excellence Festival, or as MSP calls it, a virtual festival for sales nerds. With more than 60 speakers across 21 sessions, there were three days of events that spanned from everything including sales leadership to fundraising to, of course, operations. The operations panel was all about trying to scale in the midst of rapid growth. And I was joined by four operators who are all in the thick of that growth themselves right now. We had Cindy Hancock, Senior Director of RevOps at Highspot, Henry Mizell, VP of Revenue at Apollo, Megan Lloyd, Director of Operations at AnyRoad, and Melody Schwartz, VP of Enablement and Operations at Spiff. In our conversation, we talk about the routines and cadences that these operators use to bring order to chaos in their businesses. We talk about translating the complex into the simple for their internal partners, and it wouldn't be a live panel if we didn't take some curveball questions from the audience along the way. Let's jump right past all the intros and into the heart of our conversation from RevX. Enjoy. We're going to cover a wide range of topics today. And because we're talking about rapidly scaling organizations, where I thought we would start is sometimes operations teams tend to be the ones who are looked to to bring order to the chaos, right? And so what I wanted to ask the group of you about is what are some of the routines or cadences that you have found to be most helpful inside of these rapidly scaling teams? What are some of those routines that you've put in place? And Henry, why don't we start with you?
1: Yeah really good question i think there's a bunch right so we have a lot of really clear work streams rhythms very clear daisy methodology and then we have a sprint planning process which is inclusive of ops and strategy although they have a reduced sprint point but particularly on the analytics and the system side as well so it just really helps make sure that we stay on track it helps get buy-in and alignment across the whole org and obviously prevents
0: people taking on an over-promising. and over-promising Melody, how about you? I know you've talked about establishing like a real operating cadence within your business.
2: Yeah. I think one of the very first things I did was that to ensure that we are organized and aligned with everything that happens on a weekly, monthly, and quarterly basis. So I established, obviously, in partnership with our CRO, I established an operating okay. cadence for our forecasting motion, reporting out on all of our pipeline metrics, and then obviously... Following that is all of the activity reporting. I will say, I think one thing that has been hugely beneficial for us is I have included everything in that operating cadence when we send out surveys, when we're gonna send out certifications, when we report out on our content adoption, shout out to Cindy's team, right? So I have really just run the gamut on everything that we do, not only as a revenue organization, but also cross-functionally as well. That's been very much an accelerator for us.
0: And Cindy, you got the shout out. So we'll, we'll go to you next. What does that look like yeah. for you at iSpot? Like, are there certain routines or cadences that are critical for the team?
3: Yeah, a great question. On the spot. No, it's good. I will call out one of our, I guess, specific routines, which is something that we call an SPS, which is stakeholder priority sync. And so one thing we know about revenue operations is oftentimes we can be all things for all people. And when the company needs something done, like get Ops to do it, they do it really well. And what that means is you often have more things that you need to do than time, right? And so how do you prioritize? So what we do is actually we do a ruthless prioritization process with our stakeholders. So we essentially get all of our executive team in the room. We put in a document, here are all the requests or strategic projects that have been requested. Here are the puts and takes for each one, the scope, who would be involved, the overall impact of the business. And we literally do get out in the room live to figure out what is the right priority order for the business as well as the team based off the current capacity. And so that's something that we do. Of course, we do annual planning. And then we also do things on a quarterly and monthly basis, kind of based off changes and pivots and needs of the business.
0: I would also imagine too, Cindy, that that SPS routine is very helpful when inevitably the day after you do this thing where you all duke it out, there's some new shiny thing that pops up the next day, the next week. And so how do you kind of lean back on the things you agreed on in that meeting?
3: Yeah, great question. So it works best when you set a specific cadence. So you don't want to be like, well, we'll do the SPS whenever we need it. You want to say, we'll reprioritize on a quarterly basis or an an annual basis. So that way you can lean back to that process, be like, okay, that's great. We're going to put it in the backlog for now. And then when we get to the SPS in a month or in a quarter, that's when we'll revisit it. But between now and then, here are some things that you could be doing stakeholder to get your way through so that once we do prioritize it, it's like, hit the ground running, right? Because there's a certain level of goals and defining the scope of that project that you could do ahead of time that really just helps solidify like why we should do this and, and when we should do it.
0: Yeah. I think it also gives you permission to say no to that new stuff yeah. because you've already done Absolutely. all that work and gotten that agreement with people. Megan, how about at any road, any additional routines or things like that, that you would add to what the crew has already said?
4: I mean, we're, we're such like a smaller team. We kind of play it fast and loose. Like We are not nearly as like cadenced out and like established as uh, some of the other places that I have worked, but it works well for us. I mean, we do have weekly check-ins to make sure that all of the different functions that, um, get all their priorities at least listed out. There's a common JIRA board that myself, my direct report, and our um, head of enablement constantly works off of. So we do use that to sort of try to manage our different priorities. And then we also have a go-to-market meeting where all those stakeholders kind of get together and we do look at that JIR board and we say, okay, this week, this is what we're working on. Like does anyone have any like questions or concern on this? But yeah, it's a little more not not quite as formal, I would say.
0: <laughs> totally. And so I'll stick with you, Megan. As we think about in a world where things aren't quite as formal. You have, as you mentioned, a whole bunch of stakeholders across the revenue teams. How are you working specifically with sales, right? Like, what does that look like at the stage you're at? Because everyone in the audience might be coming from a totally different stage. And so how does that appear at the stage you're at in terms of your relationship with sales managers and your ability to kind of empower them to do their jobs better?
4: Yeah, so I personally do meet with our VP of sales. like Our sales team right now is only six people. So we are a small team. So they all roll up to our VP of sales and you know I make sure that he has the data that he needs in order to see like team performance, how they're tracking. I'll call out different trends that I'm starting to see in the data. Our business has also shifted a little bit. Like we're very mid-market focused now, whereas previously we used to try to be more enterprise focused. So we've kind of shifted also away from like, industry-based targets into use case-based targets so like with a lot of those very like kind of shifting priorities the way we measure how the team is performing also change so I just kind of have to make sure that I'm always like kind of lockstep within sales and also into marketing too just around like you know how well is the team performing like where can I possibly call out like this is working this is not how did we do this week versus last week this month versus last month. Yeah, it just really comes down to the data and then also trying to tell that story out of the data to be that extra support person into sales and say, like, here, let me kind of give you a a nice package of like, this is how you can go help and enable your teams to do better.
0: Mm. And Melody, it can be hard, right, to come to the table with either those insights or those recommendations if you are someone who has not carried a bag, right, or had a quota. And so Ron had a great question in the chat What are some best practices for RevOps to gain that trust and credibility? if they haven't necessarily had a sales background?
2: Yeah, what a great question. This comes up in almost every ops event that I've participated in. The truth is, is that it's tale as old as time, is that you really need to almost check yourself weekly to figure out how much time you've spent building relationships with the sales managers or your sales leadership team. So I think relationships are very important, but also following the relationships really being able to explain why you do what you do and provide new insights to help your management team run their business. So for example, this is actually one that came across my plate this week. And I I thought this was a really eye-opening moment. So I'd love to share this example where we have two systems that have pretty much duplicate functionality, if you will, at face value. And so our VP of sales was like, okay, well, why do I use that one? And why do I use this one? This looks the same to me. And not only from an operations perspective, you answer the question, but you use that as an opportunity to build relationships and provide insight. So I said, you know, this system, it's the same functionality, but when you use this system, you're rolling up your forecast. You're not per se managing your team and coaching. This system, you use the same functionality because this provides you coaching insight that actually helps you in team meetings and one-on-ones. they are different pieces of the operating cadence. And that was a light bulb moment. And this VP of sales has been in the game for a really long time. So I think it's building relationships and being able to explain the why and just bring something to the table that is valid. And over time, that compounds and they'll, they'll certainly appreciate it. It's really hard. I feel for you, but you got to do it. <laughs>
0: And Henry, like to Melody's point about bringing something to the table, right? It's one thing to say you have a partnership; it's quite another to actually provide value on a regular basis. Like, how do you think about that for your stakeholders and, and what you bring to the table to them?
1: Yeah, I think if you and it's a really good question that Ron asked. I think if you've been in in that position before, you can be a bit more proactive and you understand what's going to really like create leverage for that person, whether they're a rep, whether they're a manager, whether it's a VP. If you haven't, I think just having a really open conversation and, and working out like what would enable them the most, what would empower them, what would make them successful in their role and being that trusted partner there. If you provide that success and that enablement to them, you become their kind of right hand.
0: Yeah. And I think in that conversation too, there's a moment where you can acknowledge that you both have different skill sets, right? And you bring different things to the table and you Henry, are going to see things that that tenured sales leader might not have seen and be able to do that a little bit differently. Cindy, for you, I think in ops, we try to help managers to run their business, right? And enable them to do it on their own. So how do you think about that idea of like running their business?
3: Yeah, yeah, great question. So one of the things that I think about is what is the best way to equip the teams to do that? And a lot of that, we think about it through reporting. And so we have two main paths that we think about reporting, which is inspection and monitoring. And those are two different paths. So for the ability to monitor is really that mind frame or mindset of how do I run my business? So similar to kind of like maintaining your car, you have a gauge in your car that tells you how much gas or charge you have left, and you continuously monitor that gauge right, to make sure you don't run out of gas and then get stopped on the side of the road. And so one of the sets of reportings that you provide to your team, they can look at on their own and constantly monitor to ensure the health of their business, whether that's monitoring pipeline or revenue or win rates or whatever that is. But it's both leading indicators that map to those outcomes, whether it's generating that pipeline or revenue. Yeah. And then the other one is essentially inspection. This is less around running the business, but more around diagnostics. So you think about. Same example, you have your check engine line on. You don't know what's wrong. You take it to the shop and they run a diagnosis for you. They tell you what's wrong and what's your remediation plan to make it better. You want to be able to empower your managers to do the same thing for their business. They see that when rate is low or pipeline is low, and if you have low pipeline, there's no way you have enough to then hit your revenue targets. And so how can they inspect their business to identify what those root causes are and then make a plan to make that better for their reps.
0: I'd love to double click on that a little bit. And so I'll open it up to anybody on the panel who wants to jump in here. Like if we take Cindy's analogy of the gauges in your car, and we have these two buckets of inspection and monitoring, I feel like there's a tendency to have 27 gauges instead of five, right? And so how do you all think about picking which gauges make it into the car?
2: I feel like I keep going back on this, but it's really that valuable is that like when you build the operating cadence, that's where you agree on the reports that you're using. And then at that point, it's an expectation that those are the reports that you own maintain and distribute. It's going to evolve over time for sure. The other thing I'll say is make sure that when you are running any meeting to review a metric, always talk about the basics first. What do we know to be true? What reports are we looking at? What's the criteria? And then deliver the message. I find that just those simple communication kind of tweaks really go a long way.
0: Got it. So let's talk about that communication piece, right? And Cindy, I want to come back to you because you just kind of outlined all this different data that you have on the gauges in the car. And so half the battle at that point, if once you're instrumented, which is a whole thing in of itself, but once you're instrumented how you deliver that data, how you communicate, how you talk about it internally within your organization is, is really important. So I'm curious how you think about the different communication methods that your team has used. And I also want all of us to think about, has any of that changed in the last couple of years, given people are working more remotely or in hybrid environments? And so, Cindy, I'll start with you.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something that's really top of mind. I'm sure, Melody, for you as well, especially in the enablement space, where like you can no longer have those drive-by conversations, right? So you have to essentially create that forum, whether it's asynchronous through documentation or it's in a meeting. And one of those things that's really challenging with the reporting is most sales leaders, and hopefully no one takes offense to this, is that they're not naturally like data literate, I would say. And so it takes some practice and thoughtfulness to roll it out. And so something that we've implemented recently, and so I will let you know how it goes, is the idea of kind of like a performance monitoring and inspection meeting. And the idea of this is that we come into a room. So it's ops plus analytics, plus all the sales LT. And we look through all the reporting together and we do the inspection and monitoring together. So it's like this kind of live analysis so one, it's not just us coming to them because then how do they learn to do it themselves, right? But it's like, how do we combine the brainpower around an analytics mind and operations mind and then the sales team who has all this context and do it together in a room? Practice this over and over again until the point where at least your managers have a good way and good understanding of how to do it themselves. So they can do it on any asynchronous basis on their own, right? They have the reporting, they're now equipped. And then you can move that meeting that was maybe weekly before to a monthly or quarterly basis so that you can spot those larger or bigger trends or strategic shifts you want to make in the business.
0: That's great. That idea of those complementary skill sets kind of producing a better Mm -hmm. outcome there. Megan, how about you? How do you think about kind of communicating what could be complex concepts throughout the rest of the org?
4: Yeah, I I feel like this is something that we still kind of struggle with just given where our org is today. It's honestly a little bit of trial and error in terms of the data that we're looking at. A good example is even how we'd set our goals for Q3, um, which just ended for us, was based on, you know, kind of historical data, looking at how much pipeline was added, like the closed percentages, kind of looking at like velocity throughout the pipeline. Using those metrics to set our Q3 goals, we didn't necessarily hit them. And so now looking back and trying to change the math for Q4, we're trying to look at different things and trying to factor in things like seasonality and also knowing that the focus of the business has shifted a little bit. So making sort of a bit of assumptions and then just trying to look at different reports to kind of gauge like where we should set our goal targets for and then also kind of working cross-functionally trying to understand like, what is our new marketing team measuring? You know, what are they bringing to the table that's different from the last marketing team that we had? You know, there's a lot shifting there, especially in terms of pipeline growth. So it's, it's yeah, it's kind of a moving target, a little bit of trial and error. And we kind of figure it out together. It's like, I might show this report. This is kind of the insights that i glean from it. Does this work? Does this not? Do you want to see something different? And it's a little bit iterative that we kind of go over together just like as an entire team.
0: And Henry, I feel like Megan's answer segues nicely into Mary's question in the chat, actually, because she's talking about alignment, right? And so Mary's question is, could you speak to your practices in aligning product planning sales with the transaction and documenting that business? So her example is, how do you reflect that a new product feature or different product configuration might show up on an order form? So I think really it sounds like the alignment between sales and product.
1: Yeah, I think alignment is so, so important across the whole org. And I think like, depending on where the metric sits and what you're looking to manage, on one hand, there'll be a model, typically like finance will have their top down and then you'll have, or, or operations will hold a modeling phase and agreeing that, okay, these metrics drive this output and this is what we're pushing towards. These are the kind of highest sensitivity on the model. And that's the order of prioritization. For product tests and experiments, what we tend to do is start with the, the hypotheses of what's like the check metric. What does good look like? What is a successful experiment? What is the criteria for exit? And then we monitor those and make adjustments if we need to. And that might be an adjustment to the experiment in general, or it might be kind of pairing back and starting again.
0: Got it. And Melody, I want to make sure we come back to you before we move off of this communication and alignment theme, because everybody on the panel, you're the one who specializes in enablement in addition to operations. And so I would imagine you're thinking about communication and alignment all day. Right. So can you talk a little bit about how you have gone about that recently?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think there are a couple of examples maybe tactically that I can add onto the conversation. So every 2 weeks or so, we send out a quick hits like newsletter to the revenue organization. And that includes just all the things you need to know, but I really beef that up to ensure that all of the content needed to support change whether it's directly through the revenue organization or across the business is in there. And what happens from there is that our C-level and VP level will grab that content and ensure their managers are bringing that content into their team meetings. It's been really helpful just where, to ensure that like whatever change we're driving forth, the rubber hits the road. And the other thing is, is that manager enablement is very important. We have an amazing management team. I also think just whenever you are rolling out a new change or a new process write up a quick like, hey, these are all the things that you need to know for messaging, positioning. It's almost like you know, you're enabling internally as well. And so that way, everybody's on the same page. Whenever maybe someone gets challenged on the why, they're armed with the answers. I call it like last mile enablement. I've kind of coined that. So all of this great work that's happening and all these ideas that are getting shared on the call today where the rubber hits the road, it really goes a long way to ensure that all the hard work doesn't get lost in that last mile. So it's certainly really helpful.
0: And I would imagine when we were all together in the same place, that last mile enablement, you can kind of like turn around and provide that last mile enablement or reinforcement when you're you know two feet away from the person. How do you think about that in like this either remote first or hybrid type of world And you're trying to enable the field team at your company.
2: So I think just regular knowledge checks to ensure that we're just sending out really like mini quizzes every now and then to ensure we're on the same page. Additionally, in any enablement session, man, it seems so simple, but it it works well. It's just like get to the point, explain the what, the why, the when and how to do it. Don't fluff it. Don't dance around it. Just make sure everyone has what they need so they can hop on and off the call. So I think it's a communication thing, but also do leverage your tech where you can.
0: Got it. All right, cool. More questions coming in through the chat. Everyone, please keep throwing them in there and we'll keep answering them as they come in. Simran had a question. How do you go about quarterly OKR setting across the different teams that RevOps works across? Henry, you want to jump in on that one? So we have a very
1: rigorous quarterly OKR planning as a company. We start at the executive layer and then pass that down to departments and teams to align upwards to. So there'll be company goals, typically three or four, and then it's the responsibility of the revenue org, and then within the revenue org, the systems to align upwards into that. What we want to avoid is like really just cascading down like, hey, you guys need to do all of this because this is what yeah. we think matters. I think teams are closest to what will make the biggest impact. And if they know where the company is going and there's that alignment, then that's where you really kind of foster innovation and and impact and empowering people as well to make it like hiring super smart people which should kind of get out of their way to actually go and deliver. So that's how we do OKR as a company. And then I'd say within the revenue operations team, we think probably one to two quarters ahead and have a kind of long-term plan. I mentioned that we run a sprint planning process with company-wide intake process. That really drives like a good thirty to forty percent of our OKR planning, like because we can measure that impact and the need for it, and then plan that time one or two quarters ahead, depending on the sensitivity of it.
0: And for those different teams that you know, these goals are either cascading around or sharing. Henry, one of the things I feel like that can happen is you might have a goal on the sales side that you know the marketing team isn't signed up for, or products building something and the services organization isn't ready for it. How do you make sure that those different teams are aware of and kind of signed up for each other's cross-functional goals?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and definitely something I've learned early on firsthand. I think it, it comes down to philosophy and methodology around your OKR planning process. So you have a driver and you have contributors. You should never have an OKR that is dependent on another org or another person or, and I can speak from experience here, delivering a hire on, on time. I think that's the crucial thing to make sure there is alignment. Doing the executive layer, company-wide OKRs first generally means that marketing and sales, and product and sales, and, and all the functional teams are on the same page going into it. That generally removes any surprises down the line or, or kind of misalignment.
0: Got it. And Cindy, does you that, that ask a question, Sean? It does. Yes, thank you, Cindy. We're talking about that alignment and we're talking about planning for the future. I mean, half the battle at the beginning of that goal setting is to like figure out what the problems are in the first place, right? And so how do you think about that framework for actually finding the problems in the first place?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that we necessarily take that approach in terms of finding the problems. It's more of what are the things that we know we have to do in the upcoming year and taking that approach. and then setting the OKRs and goals around that, and then figuring out what the how is. And so less of the gaps. And of of course, we need to identify those. And that's usually what we need to do. But it's more around what are are the goals and objectives for the upcoming year.
0: Got it. And then what are you doing to kind of align the teams around those?
3: Yeah, great question. So one way that we do it, or that we're actually... The OKR process is a little bit newer to Highspot generally. And so one of the things that we're doing, because I completely agree with you, there could be a case where like, marketing and sales set their own OKRs, and then we have twice as many things to do instead of one aligned set of things to do. And so what we are thinking about in regards to approaching that is actually doing kind of like a a roadshow or shopping around of OKRs and doing it in a sequential order where sales will actually do it first based off our strategy memo so the strategy memo that's set out by our our ceo robert have the sales team take the first stab of their okrs or objectives for the year they shop that around then have to marketing to ops to the other teams then marketing can then say okay that makes sense like these are your revenue targets this is how we're going to support you in that with your different programs and objectives and then the RevOps team can take a look at the shared view of sales and marketing and then create our own OKRs based on that. So that's kind of like how we're trying to, to
0: online. Got it. And Megan, I think this would be a good time to take Kevin's question from the chat, right? Like new stuff's going to pop up all the time in that process. And so how are you going about, to Kevin's question, prioritizing and evaluating new projects and ideas from stakeholders that might not cleanly fit into those great OKRs that Cindy and Henry were talking about?
4: Yeah, I think I'm just try to understand like the ask behind. So, I, I mean, it, it obviously it happens all the time. People will say like, oh, I really need this done because like it's going to help me with whatever. So I definitely do try to figure out like, does it possibly align back into the general OKRs? And if it doesn't, I try to see if there's some sort of a solution that's like a quick and easy win for them. A lot of times what people are asking for, we do have the ability to just deliver on at least a portion of that, like fairly quickly, and easily, or maybe the data is already there and they just didn't know it existed or it's like a quick report that I can build for them. So it's, yeah, it's trying to compromise a little bit. And then if it is like one of those bigger rocks and something that there's just no possible way that we can get to it, it doesn't align back to the OKRs. Try to table it. I still add it into JIRA just so we don't lose track of it. Just put it on the back burner so we have it and we can revisit it in like the next quarter or the next planning session and try to see if it's still top of mind, still something that they need.
0: Yeah, and I feel like, Megan, at your stage that you were talking about at Any Road, it can be tempting to do a lot of stuff that, won't scale, right? We got to just, you know, we have a problem in front of our face. Let's go and solve it. How are you thinking about when you're coming up with these projects or putting them in JIRA or prioritizing what's next? How are you thinking about the work that you're doing being more scalable over time or something that can survive more than a couple of months in a fast growing environment?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard. It is very easy, especially like up until just two weeks ago, I was a team of one. So it's very easy to get caught in that trap of like, oh, it's so quick. I know how to fix that, and I also am notorious for just working like, especially in Salesforce, in production, not in the sandbox. I don't do that. But I didn't say that. Um, so it's really easy to sort of just like knock things out. Taking a step back and really trying to think: Does this support the general goal? A lot of it is just sort of like internal. You have to remember to stop yourself not trying to do this quick fix or like someone may say like, oh, can I just get a checkbox added because I'm trying to track X. Trying to ask more questions, probe a bit more, say, okay, what are you really trying to solve for? Can we try to future-proof this? Okay, so if we do that, are there are there things that you're trying to discover? Are there actually like, Options that you would like to see. Let's talk about maybe let's make it a pick list. Like, let's try to learn from it. Can you think, are you trying to build a report later where you want to know, like, okay, if this box was checked, are you going to then want to know more information? So let's try to add that more information now. And then how does that translate into like a process? Is this going to be transferred over to other teams? What can we possibly learn from it? So trying to think those like couple steps ahead definitely helps to to certainly bet you from doing that quick. Like, okay, sure, I'll just add another checkbox.
0: Yeah, I found that the difference between good and great operations folks are the people who can look around corners and anticipate where that thing you're building might break someday or isn't going to work in a future version of the company. Melody, how do you think about that? And, and what do you try to do to make sure the solutions you're putting in place at, at Spiff are actually going to be scalable?
2: Yeah, great question. If I were to look back on my career and think about one of the things that has been a hindrance to scalability. And I think an accelerator moving forward is the technology you select to support your process. It's really important to buy for the future. And I know that's a little Captain Obvious, but when we see really nice technology, we get excited. And I do too. (laughs) And so I think it's important to buy for the future. And then making sure that you are really doubling down with the vendor to understand what their post-sales support looks like. So what happens... When you need to make changes, what happens when your infrastructure changes, or you bring in new teams or new geographies? So, really vet their post sales process because when you're thinking about building an operations function to scale, you really don't want to have to go back and re implement something. You want to build on top of that. So, how the systems manage change, I think, is one of the most important things. I think I can emphasize. There's obviously more, but <laughs> I'll stay to that.
0: So if I'm skeptical, Melody, and I'm listening to yeah. us all talk about this scalability and processes, I might say, man, that sounds kind of slow, right? Like, yeah. I, I'm not really sure if the, I can do all those things and move at the pace that my company needs me to move at. So how do yeah. you think about balancing those processes and that thought process of creating a scalable solution versus just speed?
2: Yeah. 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 One of my favorite sayings is that it's not the big that eats the small, it's the fast that eats the slow. And it continues to remain true on the operations function. The way that I think about that, and I'm sure there's more to dig in on, but when you're building your project and you're trying to think about the phases for implementation, try and make sure your end users have small wins along the way. Because really, it's just ensuring that your end users are seeing progress and value as you're building the overall infrastructure. So when you're able to get those small wins along the way for the team, everybody understands what you're doing and is bought in. It's only when you know, you're know you building this really big project and it takes 8 to 9 months and nobody's seeing any immediate result. I think that's when that starts to turn heads which I feel like it's weird for me to say because that's very normal in the operations world, but I don't think that's the new normal that we're operating in. So just making sure that you're structuring your project in a way that everyone gets small wins, but also the technology that you support needs to, needs to support that
0: speed as well. Got it. Cindy, I'm going to come back to you. Austin has a great question in the chat. How do you strategically move from the integrations and reporting person to bringing executive level value focused on growth by steering RevOps?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So the way I think about this is more of a mindset shift in what you do versus just the things that you do, I guess. And so if you think of reporting or streamlining, those more tactical things are just streamlining, creating efficiencies, removing friction as much as you can, saying no when you don't have capacity versus the strategic mind shift is more of instead of just removing those efficiencies, how are you increasing revenue velocity, right? There, there's a little bit of a difference there. When it comes to removing friction, it's not it's not removing all friction. It's about how do you leverage friction to influence behavior? So in some cases, I want to have friction in my sales process because I don't want them to do that thing. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> want them to, to create that like I have a, a manual order form creation process because in those weird exception cases, we don't want to streamline the behavior that like you're doing a very costly contract. Right. And then in regards to saying no, it's, it's not just saying no, but like here executive, these are the trade offs that you need to be thinking about and considering. And so it's, it's changing that mindset of what you deliver, how you talk about it and what you think about. And that's really just like, a maturity thing in terms of the revenue operations organization, like you do have to start somewhere and starting with removing or streamlining processes is totally fine if that's where you are, but that's how you can start
4: making that shift.
0: Megan, I mean, this sounds like exactly what you're going through right now from transitioning from a one person team to a growing group. Anything to add?
4: Yeah. I mean, also like, don't stop beating that drum that you need a bigger team. I will tell you from experience it took me almost a year to get, my hire. You just have to keep showing improving value and also showing that this is where I'm spending my time in the tactical because it is so labor intensive and time consuming that I'm not able to provide you with the strategic insights. Being able to like grab those snippets when you can of really great storytelling and saying, you know, this is what I'm seeing in the data and this is why I think we should change or this is kind of my assumptions based on these three things that I saw in the data giving that like real kind of valuable snippets to an executive leader is huge. Like they don't want to look at a report because they don't know what they're supposed to gain from it. So don't just show the data, tell them what you're seeing in it and like what you would do in their shoes. They may not always listen to you, but yeah, providing some of that. And then also being able to say to them, I would love to give you more of these insights. However, this is where I'm spending my time is like, in these like three integrations, this one is broken and why like this really like, yeah. trying to also like show like how all the tactical stuff really kind of takes up so much time because most people, they're not in it. They don't get it. They don't understand. So you really have to like, show and prove, prove your worth and keep fighting to get a team. It, it'll eventually happen as, as it did for me. And I'm so happy to have it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the one thing I would add is that that battle is never-ending, right? So every operations team wants to move from support function to partner, strategic partner, right? And even if you have that spot and you've carved out that role for yourself and for your team, like you need to continue to provide value in a way that earns that spot over and over and over again, right? It's just, it's not a given once you flip that switch. So I think continuing to provide value makes a huge difference. I'll open this one up to the whole team because I'm not sure who might have this in their org. But Ron had a good question about, do any of you have responsibilities that include creating and administering comp plans? And also, does anybody manage a deal desk? I feel like... like like, Go ahead, Spiff. You got to take it.
2: I feel like it's natural for me to answer that question. (laughs) But anyways, look, I think, Ron, to answer your question directly, I think it depends on the size of your organization. In a larger organization, you'll probably have a dedicated compensation analyst or a team or it might be formally rolled under sales operations, under somebody that handles it. We have all of our administration of our comp plans and our deal desk currently rolling under finance operations right now. So that's a really good thing. It's directly tied to like the inner workings of the business. So it depends on the size of the organization, but for us, it's under our finance ops team.
0: Henry, where does deal desk sit at Apollo? It's actually something
1: that's the formalizing it more in Q4. So it's a very kind of prescient topic right now. It has typically sat with finance and GNA. and I think in partnership with legal, we're bringing it into operations to just like streamline and remove friction.
0: Awesome. Anybody else anything to add on comp plans or deal desk?
3: Yeah, I can add. So at iSpot, we organize our center of excellence a little bit differently. So we have actually our center of excellence is revenue strategy, which different pillars, revenue operations being one of them. So our, our comps team and territory planning team actually lives on the analytics team. That's part of the revenue strategy COE. And then of course, we partner very heavily with them to enable them to execute on those comp plans and those territory plans. And then I actually own a deal desk currently under the revenue operations org.
0: Awesome. I think you know, what we're hearing from everybody is just making sure you know where those lines of responsibility are and that you have great partnerships internally. I know at Drift, We don't administer the comp plans, but we help design them within ops, right? And so I have awesome partners on the finance side that we work really closely with when we think about what are the behaviors we want to incentivize this year? And what are the goals in our operating plan that align with those behaviors? And so I think throwing out the numbers and starting with the behaviors that you want to incentivize and the levers that are available to you is is a great place to start. Thank you so much to Cindy, Henry, Megan, and Melody. And of course, thanks to Eduardo, Gina, and Pete Kazanji from the MSP team for having me as a moderator on the panel. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you're subscribed to our show. A new episode comes out every other Friday. We'll be back with one of our normal episodes with a single great guest two weeks from today. Also, if you learned anything from today's episode or from any of our episodes, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. We'll see you next time.